We always knew a podcast was an upwards future. Some of our most inspirational and memorable conversations have stemmed from off the cuff, out of the box, thoughtful dialogue with our very own upward citizens. We exist as a space where diverse perspectives can come together to breed originality. And the takeaway is a richer and more enlightened understanding of one another, ultimately translating to a better and stronger personal and professional relationship. So we thought we'd explore some interesting topics of our own in a format that encourages organic and elevated conversation and connections between participants and listeners alike. So why not put our own stamp on a podcast? Thank you for tuning in to Upward Hartford's podcast, Word Up. On today's episode, we're going to be speaking with Sonia Plum, Artistic Director at Sonia Plum Dance Company, and Sherwin Yoder, partner at Carmody, Torrance, Sandak, and Hennessy LLP. And our co-host today, Chenna Richards, who's the Community Manager with Upward Hartford. Thank you, everyone, for being on the show today. Yeah, thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Looking forward to it. Hey, Sherwin, how are you? I'm fine. Nice to hear your voice. It's very nice to hear your voice as well. I was going to say that. That goes for everyone that's here today. Um, so, Sherwin, one of the questions that I had was, what are some of the things that you do at home to decompress after a long day at work? Is there a favorite meal that you like to eat or prepare? Is there an interesting book you're reading? Is this uh, pre-COVID or during? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Because I, you know, when you ask about a long day's work, it's hard to conceptualize that these days because I feel like the lines are so blurred between when work starts and ends. We try to make some personal boundaries, you know, including spatial boundaries, and but those get blurred even. So sometimes I find myself working or not working in the middle of the day. In some ways, that makes it easier to relax and not necessary to unwind. Uh, in other ways, it makes it harder because I feel like maybe I'm not being as productive as I could be. And then I start to feel some stress and pressure uh, to do more work. Um, but in terms of relaxation, you know, a big relaxer for me is running. I really look forward to going for a long run. I'm not by nature a long runner. I've just sort of fallen into it and um, have been healthy enough to be able to keep it going. So I'm actually training for a marathon right now. Oh, wow. Wow. Which nice. marathon? Uh, actually, I'm not, I say I'm training for a marathon. I don't have a marathon picked out. What I plan to do is train for the marathon, but run a half marathon. <laughs> Excellent. So right now I'm signed up to do a uh, fundraiser half marathon for UConn Health that's fascinating that running relaxes you. For me, running is very painful and very exhausting. <laughs> it really is. I'm more of a walker, actually. I will not become a runner. No, <laughs> no thank you. Congrats, though. <laughs> I think we can all agree there. Not a runner, not a dancer. Uh, you are, Sonia. How has this pandemic influenced your creativity at this time? Yeah, you know, and I'll just reference a few years ago, I it was actually in 2013, I created a uh, 2014 premiere to dance called Privacy Settings. And it was all about like the digital and social media and reality TV, GoPros being on cameras. You know, I saw that and delved into that. And now I'm actually working on um, a video where a dance video and then we'll premiere it live, I hope, 
about the inability to touch right wow. now. Yeah, I'm waiting to hear on a, on a grant for that. Yeah, us dancers touch. I mean, that's what we do. And that, that's been a massive, massive, like, I can't, I can't touch anybody. I, I climb trees, roll in the dirt, and dance on rocks. <laughs> so. that's really fascinating too about you know creating a dance around was it data uh, privacy data privacy mm-hmm. uh, now now sherwin i mean technically right this is what you do for a living you protect those is, who yeah. are vulnerable to attacks and, and breaches and data privacy is very big on what you do it is it surely is i'd be i'm i would be very interested to see sonia's dance related to that for sure yeah, that is my practice. A lot of a lot of a lot of it, it comes in the context of data breaches. So clients that have issues where they may have had an unauthorized access or a hack or a negligent employee or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And but the work I, I enjoy is actually more related to the technology surrounding privacy and data governance and you know it's very relevant today with all the contact tracing, for example, that's going on with COVID. I'm sort of paying attention to that. And that's one of the reasons I, I really enjoy being in and around Upward Hartford is because of all the technology companies. Uh, and some of them have become clients and even have sought counsel related to healthcare privacy regulations and compliance and how, how it is that they can be responsible with their technology and you know, satisfy the needs of their partners who are concerned about how customer data is treated. So yeah, privacy is a big and growing, uh, getting bigger uh, concern uh, in my practice. And uh, it's, it's, it's been helpful to me uh, professionally. And it's funny to think about privacy at a time like this when we are hmm. told to be distant from people and stay away from everyone. It's almost like a forced privacy that's set upon us um, while we still are longing to be private because we're using technology so much more than we ever did before with everything going virtual and Zoom meetings and conference calls done over the computer. So it's kind of like that, that catch 22 of, I, I don't want to be so private that I don't get to touch and feel and see everyone, but I do want to be so private that I feel protective and safe when I'm in my home using all this technology. We're glad you're there, Sherwin. I'm going to be seeing you more, trust me. Definitely, we need oh. you. <laughs> Sonia, I hope you invite me to this to, or, or send a link to the video or mm. however it's going to be performed and you know, maybe if there's a role for a privacy lawyer in the dance, you never know. <laughs> oh, I got one for you. I have a, uh, I have a, uh, my youngest of three uh, kids, uh, my 12-year-old daughter has Down syndrome. She is a big fan of dance and loves all Disney movies that have dance and she'll get out of her chair watching the movie or play karaoke songs on YouTube and, and be dancing. Oh, nice. Very uh, interpretive um, <laughs> style of dancing. So... I think she would get a kick out of seeing dad uh, dance, maybe. (laughs) Awesome. Absolutely. We all would. (laughs) (laughs) So our team has done a great deal of research coming up with words uh, to spark curiosity and in discussion, uh, some of which we have shared with you. And without further ado, today's word is... Empathy. Empathy. All right. Yeah, that's a good one. And I want to say first that 
of all the three words you gave us, I knew this one was going to be the hardest for me to <laughs> say in words. It really was. Yeah. The other ones I had, I had an easier time prepping for. Well, if, if Sonia doesn't mind, I'll, I'll jump in. Um, Go right ahead. So empathy, when I, when I hear that word, when I see it, I think of putting myself in a person's shoes. Like it's not just um, feeling what they're feeling or, or imagining what they're feeling like, but like walking around in it or, you know, trying to examine how they're feeling from different perspectives and under different circumstances. It's like, you know, they have the expression, put yourself in someone's shoes. Well, I think until you've walked around in those shoes a little bit, you probably can't really empathize. And then another part of empathy for me would be, um, demonstrating that feeling somehow and very often that can be in the form of active listening or, or actually restating what the person is has said or what they're trying to say or what you understand them to be saying it could take different forms but i think it has to have those those two components feeling trying to feel what they feel or understanding how they feel and then demonstrating that that understanding so i went through some hard times as an artist and um I suspect I, you know, there'll always be challenges. Part of it is I, I gave up my car a long time ago uh, because I'm going to be opening up another business and I want to get rid of some debt. So I started riding the bus and I found that that I, I really was listening and watching more and more when I was riding the bus and how mm. kind people were and just, all all walks of life i just saw in things that you knew perhaps happened that weren't of their own fault or doing or or things like that so i have a better understanding of empathy having done that so that's absolutely my story. that makes a lot of sense hmm. being on public transportation i can't think of anything better than to it's like a living moving picture in your face of all these different individuals and each one of them has a story you have no idea who they are where they're going where they're coming from and they're all riding this bus together and i just think that yeah an empathetic person is going to understand and know that each one of those people has a story so i definitely can feel your sentiments about public transportation and being in the city and surrounded by so many different life stories. Yeah. Thank you, Jenna. I'd like to piggyback on something Sonia said about, about just writing public transportation. What, she, what she's doing there is putting herself in a new situation and she has to see things and people from new perspectives. And that is fundamental for if, if, if any of the listeners <laughs> Or any of us want to become more empathetic or more understanding of others, we have to put ourselves outside of our normal uh, routine. And for me, when I was thinking of examples of where empathy comes into play and how it can be useful and bear, you know, lasting fruit or be meaningful for us, I think about you know diversity and inclusion initiatives. And this is top of mind for me because. The legal profession is so not diverse. Just for example, uh, women are like 18% of equity partners are women, I believe, when for the past three decades, you know, it's been 50-50 coming out of law school, if not slightly more women than men coming out of law school. So 
know, obviously something's wrong there. And then when you talk about racial diversity, it's, it gets just worse. Perpetuators of non-diversity is this, you know, being locked into your social circle, being comfortable, hanging out with people that look like you or you, you, you know already, you're sort of like-minded, you have similar experiences. So this concept of putting yourself in a different social sphere or connection or environment, whatever, um, I believe is critical to that because then you, then you're out, then the, the externalities that made us comfortable are stripped away and now we have to find new things and, the, and what you have in common with those people are, with the people around you are not those externalities. You have to find something deeper and something more fundamental and that's where empathy um, really comes in. I, I just, just to illustrate the point a little bit better, I'm sorry if I'm rambling. No, 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 please. <laughs> um, please great job. I'm sure you can edit out the rambling. I've seen a lot of diversity and inclusion um, presentations, and one in particular stuck with me. Well, more than one, but one in particular that I'd like to talk about was the, so, the so-called uh, beads of privilege exercise. I don't know if you've done that or seen that done. It's designed to... Um, demonstrate or help people walk through other people's lives or their get yourself in their shoes by reading a series of questions related to a certain area of privilege you know hmm. race wealth sexual orientation you know whatever it may be and you read these questions you know like i'm you know for religion i've, I've never felt um excluded because i i couldn't um, practice my my I couldn't celebrate my holiday for my right. religion, you know, that right. kind of thing. And if you, if that's the answer to your question, then you can pick up a bead. And so yeah. for those of, you know, then by the end of the exercise, those with who are more privileged um, have lots of beads and lots of colors. And then okay. the ones who weren't able to answer those questions um, the same way have fewer, or even in some cases, no beads related to that particular category. And so you can really see the difference, but the real fruitful for me part of the exercise was actually going through those questions because then I realized as I'm asking the question oh somebody can't answer this question like I am mm -hmm. they are they're actually feeling like you know they can't say I've never been judged because of my appearance I never felt like somebody was judging me because of my appearance or something like that so just going through those questions is a way of mentally putting yourself in another person's shoes or thinking about them and how they're feeling and the other thing I'll say is, because Sonia mentioned the word fault, like through no fault of their own, they might be in XYZ condition. I can't remember exactly how you stated it, Sonia, but I think that's critical too. Like empathy, if it's really empathy, is about feeling uh, what the person's going through and not thinking about why they're going through it. Or, hmm. Because then you come up with reasons or justifications um, and value judgments and that kind of thing. It doesn't matter how they got there, what they're, you know, when we're talking about empathy, it's it's about what they're feeling and how they're feeling and how to express that and how to connect with them to to demonstrate that you you're getting something of it, you're like you're capturing, you're understanding some aspect of, of what they're going through, Absolutely. as opposed to judging them as to why that they're in that position. Right, right. Yeah. Why do you think some people have the ability to be more empathetic than others? You know, is it something that can be taught or developed, or is it something that's just unique to the individual? Ooh, I really appreciated what Shern was saying very eloquently. And I thought the word that jumped out, was, two words that jumped out at Ray were commonality. I think that's huge, is finding the little piece of, of commonality because we're human. 
you know, mm. whether um, it's I'm a mother, she's a mother, and we both have to get food on the table, mm-hmm. you know, that that kind, and then the, the non-judging, you know, the feeling, but non-judging. I think empathy has to have some sort of action component. It's not just a internal thing. It's being in a situation that's not, not, not familiar to you. Um, I think that will generate empathy because you'll be looking for connections with people. You know, you get stuck in an elevator with somebody you would never ever talk to in another circumstance. And now all of a sudden you have to talk and, and you find you have commonalities and, and that really can even open up your, your worldview or your perspective on, Hmm. on types of people and stuff. So. That's beautiful. Yeah. I have to, I'm just going to, there, there's a, a, a entire theater piece done about people being in an elevator. Wow. I, I don't know if it was shown at arts and ideas or not, but that was what, you know, and they were discovering each other's lives. It's wow. fascinating. Sonia, how has movement and dance influenced your empathy towards those who you coach or collaborate with? Uh, what feelings do you wish to invoke with your choreography? Oh, oh, I love that. Okay. So... Uh, it's going to be multi-pronged, I have a feeling. So I'm gonna, I, I want to be able to, to make sure that I can speak on a, a couple of different levels, both as, as the choreographer and then the teacher, maybe. Uh, as a choreographer, pull what I, I need from my dancers where it's not just technique, but, um, or, you know, here's the dance routine. But to pull the, the emotion, the depth out of them for what we need to create and present on stage, I have to have a certain amount of empathy for perhaps what they are going through or have gone through to, to be willing to open up to me. So I'm going to reference a few couple of years ago, I, was, uh, I choreographed a dance based on the Odyssey, and uh, we were working on a, a section with a, the suitors or really behave uh, inappropriately with the maids. And so I was asking my, my young male and female dancer to go in places, you know, that were uncomfortable. And, um, and my female dancer said, I, I, I don't like this, but I will, I will, I will do this. I will go there. And I know she did it because I, you know, I made it feel safe and I understood why, you know, why that was uncomfortable and that it was going to be okay, um, for us to go there. So I guess I'll, I'll use that as one example. Hmm. Um, I don't know if, I hope that makes sense. <laughs> no, absolutely. I, it absolutely. does. Totally. Yeah. And Sherwin, um, to you, do you find that you have to remove the emotion from your professional life? Um, and if so, well, first of all, if you, do you consider yourself an overly compassionate person, um, even though, mm-hmm. yes, everything is, should be in moderation, but sometimes we can't control our compassion. <laughs> If you consider yourself an overly compassionate person, is there a switch that you kind of have to flip on and off in order to perform professionally throughout the workday? Um, well, if you asked other lawyers that, they might give you a different answer, of course. And I, <laughs> I remember when I, you know, I'm the first generation college student, let alone, you know, professional um, in my family. Uh, Yoder, you might hear or 
understand comes from with a lot of Amish uh, descendants in my heritage. And oh, wow. um, so when I became a lawyer, I got a lot of questions from my, uh, my relatives. So you mean you would represent a guilty person even if you knew they were guilty? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not a criminal defense lawyer, but yeah, if I was, I would. And uh, yes, I'm naturally, I, I, I think I'm naturally empathetic and that's sort of, cause I've sort of been a fish out of water for most of my life in, in places where um, I haven't had mentors or, you know, footsteps to follow necessarily that were right there, obviously in front of me. But I, I believe that the legal profession is better served when we're empathetic to all the parties concerned. So you know, in a, a settlement conference, for example, where a client is really uh, worked up about some wrong that has been visited upon them or their property. And there's a lot of animus and ill will between the parties. The best judges that are able to settle those disputes are ones that are empathetic with the parties and give them, you know, maybe they're not gonna ever have their day in court. It's not gonna get to trial or whatever because of the legal issues. But this is their time. This is their time to express themselves, let them maybe even vent a little bit and, and try to get them to understand you know where they're coming from and then be able to put that to the side and give them sort of legal analysis and help them to think once they've been able to express themselves more clearly about what the risks are and what their, their values are. And very often just that process involves a lot of empathy and works in favor of resolving the dispute. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode. Uh, it's been a privilege to hang out with you here during this time. And, you know, with that. Word up. Word up. Word up. You've been listening to Upward Hartford's podcast, Word Up. <laughs>